Welcome to the Bayside Church Weekly Message audio podcast, Frankston. We're starting a brand new series today, The Letter to the Ephesians, and uh, I'm so excited about this series. Of course, next Sunday is Mother's Day, and uh, three of our Bayside ladies uh, are going to be sharing with you. Got a lovely morning tea and and lots and lots of fun, uh, which is great. It's going to be good. Sonia, you're one of the ladies who's speaking, and Sue Hose is speaking, and Lauren Fleming. That's going to be really good. Lauren, that's going to be good. Are you nervous already? <laughs> I'm not. You'll be fine. You'll be great. So that's going to be wonderful. Really looking forward to that next Sunday morning. Make sure you bring friends and family along with you. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of um, background to Ephesians. Remind you, of course, your message notes now are on the YouVersion Bible app. Uh, if you don't have that, just go to baysidechurch.com.au, our church website, and you click on Media and then Frankston Weekly Message, and the message notes will be available. You can type your own notes in there as you go if you'd like to do it that way. And then you can email them to yourself um, if you want to do that. Isn't that great? If you need more emails, email yourself. Be like Mr. Bean, you know, sitting there on his birthday, writing his own card. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) he was so excited. It was great. Let me give you a little bit of background to Ephesians. If you're taking notes today, the title of the message is Every Spiritual Blessing. Every Spiritual Blessing. Ephesus was the most celebrated city in Asia Minor of its day and was called the Ornament of Asia. Had a population of around 200,000 people and the city was most famous for its temple to the goddess of Diana and people would travel from uh, all around the world to worship the goddess Diana in that temple. The temple took 200 years to build and then was set on fire by a man named Herostratus. Now, has anyone here heard of Herostratus? No? Okay. So I had the same response last night at Cheltenham. I had the same response this morning at Cheltenham and now the same response from you guys this morning. No one has heard of Herostratus. And I feel for Herostratus because he burnt the temple down because he wanted to immortalize his name. (laughs) Isn't that delightfully ironic? And it didn't work. There you go. The temple was then rebuilt with the same magnificence as before, and it was regarded in its day as one of the uh, wonders of the world, and of course today it's in utter ruin. The Apostle Paul first preached in Ephesus in AD 54. He was only there for a short time, but then he left two of his key team members, and they pop up at various times through the, the uh, epistles, and that is Priscilla and we commonly call him Aquila. The correct pronunciation of his name is Achaia. And uh, Priscilla and Achaia were a husband and wife team, and they were a vital part of Paul's team. And invariably, they would travel with Paul, and then when he pioneered a church somewhere, he would only normally stay for a few weeks, maybe a few months, and then he'd move on to the next um, uh, major city area, and he would leave people there. So sometimes he'd leave Timothy, sometimes he'd leave Luke, um, sometimes he'd leave Priscilla and Achaia. And um, in the custom of the day, normally you would mention the man's name first, so man then woman. But here and in other places, we often see Priscilla's name mentioned first. And the reason for that is that she was a woman of some note, Uh, which doesn't mean that she could sing, Um, but she was probably of royal birth. She probably had royal blood uh, in her, and so she was honoured in that way. And so here we have this amazing couple travelling with Paul, 
He spends a few weeks in Ephesus, gets a little fledgling church uh, happening, and then Priscilla and Achaia uh, get the, the uh, church handed over to them. Paul eventually returned to Ephesus, and he stayed there for about three years, which was longer than he stayed in any other city. And for two of those rooms, uh, sorry, two of those years, the um, uh, Book of Acts tells us that he rented a schoolroom, which was owned by a man called Tyrannus. Now, in Ephesus, in the culture of the day, lectures ran in the morning till around midday. And so Paul's average day would look something like this. He would get up in the morning, probably have breakfast, and then he'd go off to the school of Tyrannus, and he would lecture there in the mornings. He would teach the gospel. He would teach New Testament truth. Uh, he would teach probably about church planting and pioneering. And people came from all around uh, Asia Minor, which is what we would refer to these days as modern-day Turkey. They came from all around there, and they would be instructed by Paul, and then they would go back to their hometowns where they would start a church. The church to the Colossians uh, was started uh, in that way, in Colossae, just a little church that met in someone's home, probably had about 20, maybe 25 members, and yet Paul still wrote a letter to them. And so here he's writing a letter to the Ephesian church, which uh, we are told probably had around 60,000 people in it. But God also, under the inspiration of the Spirit, wrote a letter to the Colossian church that probably had about 20 people in it. And right there we know that God is interested in the small and the big and everything in between. God is interested. Isn't that wonderful? And so that's what uh, Paul's day would have looked like. In mornings he lectured, and then in the afternoons and evenings he would have uh, studied, prepared for his lectures for the next day. And uh, also when the churches were not supporting him, and it did happen from time to time, uh, he, when he was running out of money, he would go and work. And so he worked as a tent maker, um, and Priscilla and Akia were also tent makers, and they would all work together. And uh, they would sell their tents to, uh, to people uh, who were in tents. And then they were content with the whole thing. Okay. Uh, Timothy eventually became the pastor of the Ephesian church. And then the apostle John based himself at Ephesus and became the pastor of the church until he died at the age of 94, around AD 100. It's likely that Paul wrote his letter during his house arrest in Rome. It was during this time that he also wrote what we refer to these days as the prison epistles, that is Philippians, Colossians and Philemon. He wrote those letters sometime in the early 60s AD and then he was martyred around 65 AD, uh, probably beheaded uh, for his faith, and uh, there he was promoted to heaven. So with that background in mind, let's all go together to the letter to the Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. title of the message is Every Spiritual Blessing, which is based on verse 3. Let's pick it up from verse 1, and we're going to read uh, down to verse 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus. The saints are living people. They are not dead people. They are living people, the saints in Ephesus. And let's hope the saints in Ephesus did better than the saints in Melbourne. How atrocious. I was watching it like a hawk. <laughs> the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then in the next few verses, he outlines what these every spiritual blessings are. For he chose us, verse 4, in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one whom he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having, been, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What an amazing passage of scripture. There is so much in there. As I was studying it again during the week, I thought, my goodness, we're going to spend six weeks on six chapters and we really could spend a whole year on chapter one even just on the, verse, the 14 verses that we've just read. Interestingly enough, in the original Greek in which this is written, there is no punctuation, there is no pause at all. It's like Paul was sitting there in his hired home uh, in Rome where he was under house arrest. That's where he penned this letter. And, and, and he was uh, in this moment of such inspiration, he was overwhelmed so greatly by not just the majesty of God, but the, but the amazing um, position and blessing that we have in Jesus that he just couldn't write fast enough to keep up with his head. He was, brr, 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 no time for commas, no time for full stops. And so in the original, there's no break. I am so glad that the English translators put commas and full stops and dashes because we English people need to breathe. But obviously, they didn't need to breathe back in those days. And so here he talks about every spiritual blessing that we have in Christ. Now, what I've just read, some of that, you might look at that and go, what on earth does all of that mean? Let me simplify some of this for you and under four main headings. So if you're taking notes, these are four spiritual blessings that summarize the verses that we've just read. Spiritual blessing number one is chosen to be holy and blameless. That's verse 3, chosen to be holy and blameless. When I first became a Christian, I went to a church uh, over in Western Australia um, that, that was not great on teaching the word. It was a little legalistic, and it was always about what we had to do. And one of the things I remember the pastor saying, one of his favorite verses was, be holy as I am holy. And so you've got to be holy. And I would hear this every Sunday morning and every Sunday night and every time with midweek Bible study, you've got to be holy, you've got to be holy, you've got to be holy. And so the first eight years of my Christian life, I walked with a bit of a burden because he never explained what holiness was for a start. 
but I knew I had to be it. I've got to be holy. I've got to be holy. And I had a, a kind of a sneaking suspicion that it was because God was displeased with me. And, and, and I better be better, and I've got to be better, and I've got to try harder, and I need to please God. And I lived under that burden, and then I went to Bible college, and I discovered I already was holy because of what Jesus had done for me. <sighs> Relaxation and refreshing. And uh, the Spirit of God did an amazing work in me during the first six months when I was in Bible college, when he literally uh, hammered legalism out of me. And uh, I had to work through unforgiveness and uh, anger with my former pastor for never explaining to me what holiness was and that I already was it. And I didn't need to try and get it because in Jesus we are holy. We are holy and we are blameless. The word holy simply means uh, it has two connotations. First of all, to be separated from evil. And, and the second part is the positive thing, and that is to be pleasing or set apart uh, for the master's use. And, and that's what happened at Calvary. And then, so we are holy, and then we just live out of that holiness. And we make choices in everyday life. I'm not going to choose evil, I'm going to choose good. And I'm going to live that way. And so you've been chosen to be holy and blameless. I love that word. There is nothing and no one that can blame you. Now the devil tries to blame, he's the accuser of the brethren, the Bible tells us. But Jesus says, no, 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 he's our advocate. Jesus steps in and goes, no, 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 it's okay. I've already paid for every mistake, for every sin, for every failure. I've already done it on the cross. It's all signed, sealed, and delivered. So there's no blame. There's no room for blame. He's our advocate. Isn't that awesome? I love that. And so you are chosen to be holy and blameless. I want you to notice there in verse 3, it says that this choosing happened before the creation of the world. Before God created you were chosen to be holy and blameless in Jesus. You are not an afterthought. And the context here as well is you were chosen for God's kindness and favor. And so before God created, he saw you and he says, I choose you and I'm going to put my kindness and my favor on you. But it goes one step further because we've been blessed to be a blessing. Jesus said, Freely you have received, now freely give. The church is supposed to receive the kindness of favor in God and then live out that kindness and favor of God in the world. That's how this message works tomorrow morning when you go to work, when you meet with your family, your friends, when you have those random chance encounters with people through the week. There are opportunities for you to demonstrate to others the kindness and favor that God has placed in you was the same deal for Israel in the Old Testament. God chose them to, be, to, to show his kindness and favor to them, but they was never to stop there. They were always meant as a nation to demonstrate the kindness and favor of God to all the nations. And sometimes they succeeded and sometimes they failed. And it's the same with the church. Sometimes we succeed and sometimes we fail. I think if you ask the average Australian um, their view of the church, there would be a mixed response. Some people would have a positive response. Some people have had horrible experiences with churches or horrible experiences with Christians. They've received anything but the kindness and favor of God through us and how sad that is. I read a tweet this week um, that, that was devastating because there's an element of truth in it. It said this, the nicest people I've met are covered in tattoos and piercings. And the most judgmental people I've met are the ones who go to church on Sundays. Wow. 
How sad that there is actually an element of truth in that. Let us at Bayside not be guilty, church, of being right-wing fundamentalist bigoted people. Let us be people who demonstrate the kindness and favor of God everywhere we go. We have been chosen for that. Let us be that for others. Greg Burson made an amazing statement last week that really resonated me with me. He said, people fall in love with you before they fall in love with Jesus. Isn't that true? Because, you know, Jesus came as God in the flesh to show us what God was really like, but then Jesus ascended to heaven. He is now the head of the body. We are part of the body of Christ. And so everywhere we go, we are representing Jesus. And people will fall in love with us before they fall in love with Jesus. And so they need to get to know us. They need to get to know what we're like. They need to see the kindness of God and the favor of God operating in our lives and through our lives. And as they fall in love with us, maybe they might just be interested in falling in love with our Jesus as well. And so the first spiritual blessing is chosen to be holy and blameless. Number two, spiritual blessing number two, predestined to be adopted. That's verses 4, 11, uh, 4 and verses 11 to 13. Predestined to be adopted. In love, he predestined us, Paul says here. Now, you might have read all sorts of stuff and heard all sorts of stuff about predestination over the years. There's been some absolutely awful things taught uh, over the years about predestination. And uh, so much so that some people believe that God is standing there going, um, okay, well, I'll have you... Uh, Lynn and I'll have Lauren and of course we'll have to have Chris okay but Tom sorry um yeah Jimmy uh no Stewie no so Sonia yes okay Jacob yes Gary yes how well is Gary doing I just love the way you're doing so well mate enjoying what God is doing and helping you to grow and I noticed something as you did the offering today you have a really good voice for radio he has a great voice. You have a great voice. Wonderful. So, Gary, you're definitely going to heaven. Okay? All right. But, but, but Sahana, you're not. Okay. Josh, you are, because you're a great guitar player. Steve, no. Sorry. You know. Is that what God is like? Is that the nature of God? You use, it's like sport teams at school. I have really bad memories about being picked for sport at school because they didn't want to pick me. You know, and it was like there was the two people that were always great at sport. Who was great at who's great at sport? Yeah, I knew two captains. Okay, all right, well, right up the back, right? You guys are great. At, no one else here good at sport? Surely. Okay, so you pick two captains out. Let's say, okay, Jacob, you're one. All right, you can be. You can just sit there. Okay, you're one. Okay, you can be God, and Gary, you're the other one. You can be the devil, just for the point of the illustration. And then you're standing there, and uh, Jacob gets first pick. And obviously you're going to pick the person that's most athletic, most good at the sport, and then Gary, you get second pick, and then you have the next one, you have the next one, and so on you go until there's only one person left, and that was me. And, and then it was like, oh, we'll have Buckingham, you know, because I was the person that would actually make them lose. <laughs> and uh, please don't feel sorry for me because I am over it now, and uh, I did get healed, and uh, <laughs> I think so anyway. <laughs> I'm nearly there. And sometimes, you know, when people teach on predestination, it's, it's like that. Like God says, I'll pick you, you, and you, and you, and the rest of you go to the devil. And the devil says, come with me. 
because apparently that's how he speaks, especially if you listen to the New International dramatized version of the Bible. That's not what he's speaking about here. Paul is a Jew, and he's writing to a predominantly Gentile church. It would have been a mixture of Jewish and Gentile in Ephesus, but probably predominantly Gentile. And so he's saying here, and if you read the context of these verses, and then when especially he picks this whole thing up in chapter 2 as well, he says, he has predestined us. He said, we who believed first, the Jews, but also now you, the Gentiles. Uh, what's been predestined is not just choosing one nation, but choosing people from all nations. It's not, I'll have you, you, and you, but not you, you, and you. This is like, if you look at the New Testament, the gospel is for everybody. In the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the Savior of the world. But God so loved the world. Spend some time this week looking at scriptures in regard to the gospel where he talks about all and everyone. And you cannot get that I'll pick you, you, and you, but not you, you, and you doctrine out of that. He's saying I'm, God has predestined that Jews and Gentiles would come into the church. That's wonderful. Predestined to be adopted. Now, in the Roman culture of New Testament times, the adopted one became, in the eyes of the law, a new person. He was viewed as literally being born again into a new family. He was viewed uh, as taking the family name and having all the rights of belonging to that family, including a share in the inheritance. That was Roman adoption. And, and here, Paul adopts the terminology of adoption in Ephesians chapter 1 to say this is what's happened to us. He said, we, we, Jew and Gentile, have been predestined to be adopted into the family of God. We've been born again into a new family. We, we um, have taken the family name. We have all the rights of belonging to that family, including a share in the inheritance. God is our father. Jesus is our older brother. He's referred to in the New Testament as the firstborn among many brethren, brothers and sisters. And, and so we are now brothers and sisters in Christ, in his family. Take a look around you this morning. This is family. Look at, look at each other for a minute. Just look at each other. Family. Not just the people you're married to. But everyone. You're all, we are family. And you don't get to pick your family. You can pick your friends. But this is Family. We are part of the family of God, and that's how we need to live out of that. And we've, we've been adopted, it says here, according to his pleasure and will. In other words, adoption was something that God wanted to do, and when he adopted you, it gave him joy and delight. Spiritual blessing number three, grace to be given freely. Grace to be given freely. It says his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Let's use the example of adoption here in regard to grace. Because when a couple adopt a child, it's not because they're forced to, it's because they want to. And a couple chooses to adopt a child, it's because they want to do that. Now, there's a couple at our Cheltenham campus um, uh, who I was chatting with the other day, and I asked them for permission to share their story, and, uh, and they said yes. Their names are Ross and Katerina. Ross is the one who provides all of our coffee, and is going to, have we got the coffee machine? 
Okay, so the coffee machine, they're coming down, they're going to measure up and they're bringing a coffee machine. How exciting is that? Awesome, bring it on. Then we can be the Latte Day Saints. And so Ross is the guy that's going to be providing all of that. And he provides all the coffee for free and all the cups for free. So the $2 donation you give for your coffee, 100% of that goes to support our forever home in South Africa. Isn't that great? And Ross and Katerina, his wife, tried IVF for a decade, 10 years. They had 12 attempts at IVF and every attempt failed at two hospitals. At the end of the decade, they were exhausted with the whole process and gave up. They then went to a barbecue with some friends when they were chatting with one of their friends who recommended a group for adoption. And so they turned up at this group at the first seminar and there were 600 people there and only somewhere between 16 and 20 children available for adoption. So they put their names down for the second seminar but they were told that it was all booked out and they would have to wait for another year. And so in the midst of that they received a phone call to say a couple had pulled out and would they like to come along? And they said, yes, we would. They went along and there were 12 couples there. They had to fill out a massive amount of forms and they were so excited that they ended up hand delivering the forms to make sure they got there. And then they heard nothing for another year. A year later, they got a phone call to come in and meet the social worker. And they were interviewed separately and then together and after the interview, they had to go over to Italy on business in regard to their coffee business. While they were in Italy, uh, on the 30th of October last year, they got an email to say that they had been selected as eligible for adoption. And so they went along and they put their name down on the list. Six weeks later, on a Friday, Katerina phoned Ross to say that a baby girl was available for adoption, but there were some medical issues associated and they, they were told what, and uh, they went online to check out the condition and were, and were quite shocked. But they were given until 6 o'clock that night to make a decision. Ross rang one of his mates, and his mate said, go for it. And so they went for it. They had to wait for another 72 hours, and then Ron, Ross got a phone call to say that they were successful. Now, Katerina works at a school, and so once Ross got off the phone, he drove to the school and he walked in and he saw Katerina and they looked at each other. He didn't even have to say anything and she knew. And they both burst into tears. And they went along and they um, saw some photos of Annabelle, first of all, and absolutely fell in love with her. I believe we have the photos here today. Is that correct? Yeah. And we can bring... You don't. We don't have anything I am so sad about that. I sent them, didn't I? Mm. Nothing's downloaded. Okay, that's a shame. Anyway, let me tell you, Annabelle is the most stunning little baby and Andrew Forbes had the privilege of dedicating her to the Lord late last year. Adoption. And that's, no one forced Ross and Katerina to adopt Annabelle. And the medical conditions actually not even... You wouldn't even know to look at her that she had anything wrong with her at all. She is this beautiful little girl. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to get some pictures for you so you can actually see her. I'm sorry that didn't work for whatever reason today. But she's absolutely stunning. And they're such a happy family. So good. And that's what God did with us. No one forced him to adopt us. He chose because his grace was given freely. 
Now have a look at Ephesians chapter 1 with me. And let's just go back to verses 7 and 8, shall we? Verses 7 and 8. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood. Now, redemption is deliverance from sin and also deliverance from the consequences of sin. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And I want you to notice this next statement, that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. The grace of God has been lavished on us. Lavished. The word lavish is a wonderful word because it sounds like it means, doesn't it? And, and lavish means ex- exceeding normal or appropriate bounds. It means to be extreme. When I'm cooking a roast, and I think I might cook a roast today for Trinity's birthday, I, I love doing a roast, and uh, I, maybe I should give you lots and lots of detail about my roast, seeing as it's coming up to, uh, to lunch. Maybe, well, maybe not. One of the things I love to do is make a really beautiful big pot of gravy, including the meat juices and everything. And you can just smell the lamb right now, can't you? Take a big deep breath. It's lovely. And then I love to lavish gravy on my roast. I like it swimming. And so it's extreme. Christy looks at me and just shakes her head because one spoon is enough for her. But one spoon of gravy is not enough, is it? Any other gravy buffs here? Yeah. Get the thing swimming. Get snorkels for the peas. Love it. It's exceeding normal or appropriate bounds. It, lavish means to be extreme or immoderate, to exceed reasonable limits. And that is what God's grace is like. He has lavished his grace on us. You see, we as human beings, we like boundaries. In uh, Jewish times, uh, sorry, in, in, in Bible times, there was a, a culture in Israel that you only had to forgive someone of the same offense three times. So they could do it once, you forgive, do it twice, and forgive, and do it three times, three strikes and you're out. That was their policy. So Peter comes to Jesus one day, and I can just imagine Peter having already worked it through in his head, you know, yeah, three times. Jesus, I've doubled it and I've added one, you know. Uh, How many times should I forgive my brother? Seven? He's going to be really pleased with me. Jesus goes, no, not seven, 70 times seven. Oh. What's Jesus teaching? That we should forgive, or some translations say 70 times, others say 70 times seven, which is what, 490. Is it saying that somewhat we should forgive 70 times? Is it saying we should forgive 490 times? No. What he's saying is, the lavish grace I've given to you, I want you to lavish on others. Isn't that great? And so lavish, forgiveness. I am so glad God's grace is extreme. Sometimes that's used as a criticism. Oh, you be careful of that church. They teach extreme grace. Ooh. Well, I just like to say Bayside Church is a church where we teach extreme grace because that's what God's grace is. It's extreme. It's lavish. God goes outside normal or even appropriate boundaries with his grace. And I'm so glad he does because I stand before you today as a very faulty human being who is in desperate need of the grace of God 
every day, every week, every month, and I reckon I might be in good company. And then it says here, he gives us this grace with all wisdom and understanding. In other words, he knew what he was doing and he knew that it was the right thing to do. Let's finish up. Number four, sealed to be given an inheritance. Spiritual blessing number four, sealed to be given an inheritance. Verses 13 and 14. Let's read that together. Ephesians 1, 13. And you also were included in Christ. He's talking to Gentiles here. You also, not just us Jews, but the Gentiles too. You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We were marked with a seal. Now, the seal here is not a seal. Just saying. The seal here, Paul is talking to the Ephesian church. Remember, he'd spent three years in Ephesus, and see, he knew about the culture and, and, and the industry. One of the things Ephesus was very well known for uh, was the timber industry. It was surrounded by beautiful forests. And so timber merchants would come from all around the world to purchase timber. And they would find someone, uh, when they arrived at Ephesus, there were different uh, people, obviously, who marketed timber. And they would find someone who would take them up into the forest, and, and then they would choose the trees that they wanted. So they say, okay, I want that tree, cut that one down, I'll have that tree there, I'll have that tree. And they would pick out the trees that they wanted, and those trees would then be felled, and then they would be marked with the merchant's seal. Now, you've got to understand here, there was probably dozens, maybe even hundreds of merchants at once, all picking trees that they wanted to buy. They would be handing over money, and, the, and the, each of them would have their own private seal put on those trees. Those trees would be then rolled into the river, and they would float downstream uh, to the mouth of the river, which is where the port of Ephesus was, and then the, the logs would be taken out of the river and then the, they would all look for the seal and the, and, and the logs would be stacked in a pile according to the seal. And that's what Paul is saying here in, in this uh, passage of Scripture. He said, um, you've been marked when you believed, having believed, you were marked in him with a seal. God put his seal on you. It's the same as the wax seals that we even use today uh, in, in incorporated associations. You get a seal and, and you stamp that on you and it says, that's mine, that's mine, that's mine. That's what God did. As soon as you said, I believe in Jesus, he said, good, you're mine. I put my seal on you. You're mine, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine, you're mine. It's an identification. And the seal we're told here is the Holy Spirit given as a deposit, guaranteeing the inheritance. If you're looking for a house, you house hunting, and you look around, and you finally find a place that fits your budget, and, and it fits your taste, and you put an offer in, and hopefully your offer, after a bit of a negotiation, is, is accepted, and at the point of accepting, you take a deposit, and you put a deposit on that house, guaranteeing that that house is going to be yours, that you will pay the rest. And that's what Jesus did by the power of his spirit. As soon as you said, I believe in Jesus, he said, good, bang, you're sealed, you're mine. I'm giving my Holy Spirit to you. He's a down payment guaranteeing that one day in eternity you are definitely going to get 
all of the rest of the inheritance that I have in store for you as my son or as my daughter. Is that good news? That excites me. And I'm sure it excites you too. It's just wonderful. And so in the rest of the chapter, Paul prays. And he prays that this information becomes revelation so that transformation might take place in their lives. Because it's very easy to listen to a sermon like this and go, well, gee, Rob was good today. What's for lunch? Very easy to sit and think, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, that was a good sermon. There's some great truth in that. But if it's only information, if it doesn't slip into our heart and actually become revelation to us, we go, wow, yes, yes, the riches of his grace. His grace is lavish. Because otherwise, you see, during the week when you make a mistake, when you trip up in some way, if you don't have a revelation of the lavishness of God's grace, you're going to walk around and beat yourself up. And you go, oh, just did it again. I promised God that I wouldn't do it again, but I just did it again. And then you walk around for several days beating yourself up. But if you get a revelation of the grace of God, you just come to him and say, God, I'm sorry, please forgive me. And on the confession of your sin, he says, I forgive you and I cleanse you because his grace is more than enough, sufficient. So you get a revelation of this. This works tomorrow morning when you go to work. This works all through your week. And so for the rest of the chapter, he prays that the Ephesian Christians get it. We hope you enjoyed listening to this weekly message audio podcast. If you'd like to listen to more messages and find out more information, check out our website at www.baysidechurch.com.au. Church has changed. Check it out.